0: Welcome to another episode of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon, Chartered Psychologist and Coach, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host Pilar Ortiz. Pilar, how are you today?
1: I am very well. I am very lucky that I can always say that I'm very well. Touch wood. (laughs)
0: Such wood, indeed. Um, I'm doing well as well. I'm looking at the window at Blue Skies, Mm. um, and we're recording this in October, um, and yet it is over 20 degrees in London. It is lovely but very worrying um, Why we're having this kind of weather, but I'm going to enjoy it while it's here, and then um, then I'm going to toddle off to my Japanese class. So Uh it is a day of nice conversations and personal development. (laughs) Nice. So uh, before we dive into our our big topic uh, for today, which is about introducing coaching to your workplace, I just wanted to cover up a couple of brief uh, news updates Um, by way of reminder. uh, The next month, uh, the December uh, monthly meetup for our online community is all about getting a head start on planning for 2024. It might seem a little early, but starting earlier is better than leaving it to the last minute. and jumping on a bandwagon that isn't authentic or um, flailing around for some kind of New Year's resolution. So instead, it's useful to think about how you'd like the year to be different or better or more or less of something and start on it in December so you can learn from your experience. And then when January rolls around, if it matters to you that it's January, uh, you at least know what you're getting into and you can avoid some of those inauthentic choices you might make under pressure as with all of our monthly meetups it's completely free and uh, membership is free and you can sign up at worklifepsych.club and then you click on the events menu and you can see all of the details for all of our events there further our uh, latest newsletter is um, just out the door and uh, you can find that online to read or subscribe at worklifesych.news. So today we're going to be talking about introducing coaching as an activity to your organization. And I'm framing this maybe in a bit of a <laughs> fear, uncertainty and doubt, but I'm, I'm framing this and looking at it through the lens of mistakes that are made mm-hmm. to hopefully help any listeners who work in HR or learning and development or are responsible for coaching to help them avoid these because there's a number of them. I see them. Uh, regularly and it would be great to help more organizations avoid these really common uh, errors that happen when someone wants to introduce coaching how does that sound
1: that sounds really good and it's a perspective that we haven't looked at before i think so yeah nice Mm.
0: so um just to signpost this these are not in order of uh magnitude <laughs> importance or anything like that uh but they're in the order in which i was r- um, writing my notes yeah. and they had occurred to me um i think there's a pretty fundamental error um that it can seem like all the boxes have been ticked we've we've thought about a b and c we've answered questions about what coaching but actually is there a, a plan or a goal for coaching as an activity so one of the um, kind of errors we can make in the workplace is we can really focus on finding the right solution without even asking ourselves, well, what's the problem we're trying to solve? So if we don't have an idea of, of how coaching is going to help us, if we haven't thought through that coaching and activity is, as an activity is going to be in alignment with what we're trying to achieve in this organization, our strategy, if we've no idea as to how coaching might assist us or a, a really useful answer to the question why do you want to introduce coaching well you can introduce it but it could be a little bit chaotic it may well not get the results you're hoping for and in fact as employees ask about it they may get different and inconsistent answers so this is about the fundamental well why why is coaching something that we're going to start offering employees in this organization without that why i would suggest pause and um, spend some time with your stakeholders clarifying what kind of role it's going to play in the organization. I think, you know, this being so fundamental, you could go through all of the other stuff like finding external coaches or training managers and launching it as a benefit, but it, you, you'll undo all of that good work if you haven't got the fundamentals in place. It sounds a little boring, but it's very important, don't you think?
1: Well, yes, you need to know why you're introducing it. Uh, Also, I suppose if you know why you're introducing it, you can then look for the best ways of introducing it, the best formats, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah.
0: Exactly right, yes. And um, it can be helpful um, to think about the why. And when the why comes up in conversations Mm -hmm. with me, some of the why, um, they may not be a good why for coaching right? Yeah. So you might think you're going to achieve things and you're very positive that coaching is the answer to the question. And I'm going to be able to tell you there are better ways of achieving that. There are more cost-effective or more um, more accessible ways or more people can be impacted uh, by training, for example, rather than coaching. And we're, we're back to our old topic of, you know, what is coaching and different people having different views of it. But thinking about the why enables us to have a good quality conversation about it. And I have even suggested people go away and have a good, that sounded terrible. Um, people take a, take a chance, <laughs> an opportunity to think it through again, and then we can get into planning. But yeah. I'm not keen to dive in if you really haven't thought that bit through. Secondly, a very common mistake I would suggest is not considering all the different ways that coaching can be used in the workplace. And what I mean by that is, it's very easy for people to have a quite simplistic view of the different ways that coaching can be helpful. So for example, their mental model is, well, coaching is for senior people to make them more senior. Right? (laughs) That's a very common way of looking at it. Or a less helpful one even is, coaching is for the people who are not doing good and it will make them do good. right. Often it's a kind of last chance saloon. We're thinking of ejecting this person from our organization, but what about getting them a coach as if that is going to turn everything around? So what I like to do is actually illustrate all of the different ways that coaching psychologists could support people Help them uh, with a topic, uh, attain a goal, or change a behaviour across some of the main bullet points that we we work in. So, for example, yes, we do a lot of work with senior people as they transition to a new level of seniority, but it's not necessarily to help them get that seniority. But really, looking at the psychology of change and how that uh, transition to a new role might have an impact on their self-concept or how they might need to update how they view themselves, how it might have an impact on their self-confidence, how it might have an impact on what they're doing day to day and maybe what they need to stop doing now that they have new things to do. And so that they don't end up with two jobs, but they've got this one new senior job and maybe they've started to delegate more of the other stuff. And um, coping with change and and learning coping strategies uh, for navigating an organizational change. We do so much in the uh, well-being space. Um, it could be stress management. It could be cultivating uh, healthy habits. It could be about making sustainable changes, uh, changes to, to behavior that are going to stick and boost uh, well-being. It could also be about, you know, Picking up the skills of psychological flexibility uh, to boost well-being and resilience. And a b- big topic for me as a professional is, is productivity. you know, helping people with um, ingrained habits like procrastination, or um, allowing themselves to get into the position of being overwhelmed, um, or we've got that whole bucket of coaching activity, which is about relationships and interpersonal interactions. So what I try and do is open the door a bit wider to illustrate these are all of the different ways that coaching could be used by different individuals. And that can help the coaching stakeholder, whoever is responsible for this, have the widest possible understanding of how it might be used, so it could be front of mind as they speak to people in their organization and maybe plant the seed that coaching might be something you want to have a look at rather than a simple mental model of it's for executives or wannabe executives. And you know, widening that per perspective, that perception um, can be really useful.
1: I suppose it goes very well with the why you want to introduce it and the how you think uh, it will help um, and I'm also thinking, Richard, as you were speaking and you were mentioning how broad the the kind of outcomes that you might want from coaching are that it's also about understanding th- the the individuals I suppose that might benefit more from it and not default to what we would think of as the typical individual that that's coaching as well. Mm.
0: Absolutely. It's an individual focus. It's about that unique person and, and, you know, actually the badge of convenience that might be put on their coaching activity by their manager or even themselves at the beginning, you know, what I'm, what I'm working on could subtly change over time as they open up a little bit more. You know, we've Mm -hmm. touched on this before that actually, you know, I've got a new senior role and, um, almost like a bit of a reward, almost like a bit of a, everyone gets it when they get to this level. I have coaching and it's to help me adjust to this new role. But actually when we talk, it's about my confidence. It's Mm -hmm. about speaking up in these senior meetings I'm in now. It's about leading a team where I used to be their peer. You know, So it, it doesn't matter what that badge of convenience is. It matters more that the coaching is authentically something that the the individual wants to work on that's going to benefit them in the context they're in right now. There's a big piece about the coaching ethos. So this is similar but different to the points we've made before. So um not only broadening the conversation about how coaching could be helpful for different people, but what is it? what is coaching in this organization? So I often begin a coaching conversation or a chemistry meeting by describing coaching as one-to-one development. It's as simple as that. It's two people working together. It's one-to-one. It's development-focused. But actually, the coaching ethos um, needs to sidestep punishment or reward. You know, you can't do coaching to someone and actually giving someone a coach at an arbitrary time, you know, they've just ticked the box to become a partner, that might not be a good time for them. And another time in their career could be more useful. So considering their development needs rather than the title they have or what you view as their their failings. There's also a bigger question of who gets to access a coach. So on the one hand, um, routes into coaching vary uh, enormously between different organizations. Now, some of the organizations I work with will have an unofficial, it's this level of seniority up, we'll talk about it at this level of seniority and below, probably not. And it's normally a cost implications thing. And I, I totally get that. That's why we introduce coach on campus, which is our way of widening the population that can access a coach and that just is about providing x number of coaching sessions to a population where each person might just take one of those to work through something or they might take a couple but they're not all signing up for a six-month program it's more agile it's like drop in Um, and that's a way of broadening the population But before you introduce it, you really need to think about who you're going to give access to coaching to and who gets to decide who has access. Um, What's the route? Are you going to enable your senior stakeholders to decide if coaching is for them? Or are you going to create a process that everyone goes through in order to get some kind of sense check and sign off. And and in part, that's is coaching going to be helpful for you? Or maybe training or mentoring is the better option. So it's not you get it or you don't, more a case of is it the helpful support function or intervention? Um, and, And what is the purpose of it here? So being really clear in being able to verbalize the place coaching has, how it can be used, who gets to use it, and how it fits within your overall talent management strategy. All of that helps avoid it being a dark, secret, mysterious activity, which it definitely isn't. But if that isn't publicly available information in the organization, then it will seem that way and people will default to their own understanding of it. If there's a gap in the knowledge, they'll fill it in with something else and it'll either be viewed as a reward or some kind of, you've got some kind of failing and they're trying to fix you. And we really want to avoid those kinds of assumptions.
1: Uh, And and Richard, you mentioned the talent management strategy and it's fitting in, but I suppose it also, you need to see how it's going to fit into your culture, I imagine, into the organization's way of doing things, or, or how, it, or in what way would it fit? So uh, mm. I think that's like another. Again, sometimes I'm thinking, oh, let's just introduce coaching, but actually, there's a lot. The, there's a big ecosystem within what, within where it needs to fit in.
0: You, you absolutely, absolutely, and established bigger organizations normally. I'll say normally have a talent management strategy and talent management processes that are you know fairly established and we're able to work back from them so for example there'll be an element of leadership development happening in the organization maybe coaching can be a helpful bolt on to that in addition to what you're doing maybe you have a high potential initiative going on coaching could be useful there maybe you've got a graduate program and as I do supporting graduates as they develop learn how to work with others, learn how to adjust to different work environments. Coaching is super helpful there. So it's another perspective is to walk back from how are we developing our people and might coaching be a useful addition to those things. But culture is also really, really important. And that's something that um, I know I've touched on it before, but for me, it's incredibly interesting and rewarding uh, this part of my job, seeing the inside of so many diverse organizations and seeing how people, as a result of the culture, respond to coaching or think about coaching. And, you know, it might be unhelpful, it might be helpful, but we'll work on it when we're working together. But it does play a role such that it's um, either a hierarchical view of who gets access or a mer- more meritocratic view or um, one where actually. The culture says you, you just book it for yourself. We've, we've opened it up. You book your session and l- lots of my clients have it that way with coach on campus is a public link and you just click the link and you've booked yourself a coaching session. You don't need to justify it to anybody else. So yes, it's important for me, my colleagues to understand what kind of organization is this and closely related. Has there been any experience of coaching in this organization? Before today? Do we need to be aware of why you haven't done it up till now or why you're not doing it now? Or is there anyone who doesn't want it in this organization? Are there senior stakeholders who are opposed to it? Because we just need to be aware of this and, and how it might play out in people's perspectives and perceptions. Now, there's a big question, and I have a vested interest here, um, <laughs> obviously. And it's related to my last point. When organizations aren't selective enough about the coaches that they introduce into their organization, I, as a psychologist, would really um, suggest to my coaching clients that they have some kind of selection criteria, you know, know what you're looking for and compare applicants against those criteria in an objective way. That doesn't happen a lot, I have to say. Even for me, a lot of the work I get is based on reputation and recommendation, and there's no assessment process per se. But think of it this way. As we've said before, anyone can call themselves a coach. Anyone can have the the trappings of uh, a coach business. Um, But what you need to do as the stakeholder is ensure that these are the right people to introduce to your staff. Your employees could benefit enormously from it or could be damaged by it. Um, you know, best, best hope there is for a neutral uh, it wasn't very good, but they can you know unethical or untrained coaches can breach confidentiality, can expose people uh, to methods that simply don't work, or as we've said before, exceed their competence and try to be some kind of therapist and not a coach. So the basics are whoever you bring in needs to be suitably accredited and experienced. And I'd be more than happy to have a conversation with anyone out there um, in in talent in HR who wants to to bottom that out a little bit, but probe a bit more, you know, push back a little bit more, get the details of this uh, qualification, find out who has accredited them, what professional memberships do they have, and if it doesn't work out, which organization would you go to um, that is responsible for their profession? That's really really important. It's a throwaway comment, but I come across it all the time that um, the selection criteria boils down to, I know a guy. Right? And, and that is, it, it's dangerous, but it also means that I know a guy and he coached this other guy and it went really well. Super, but will this person coach your people to great outcomes in this different environment, in this different organization? It doesn't always hold that way. So I'd encourage, in the same way that you would hopefully apply criteria to employing uh, new leaders, um, I mean, if you think about what you make your graduates go through, all the hoops they have to jump through to get into the organization, the least you could do is interview prospective coaches. Uh, So be selective. And if someone doesn't like the fact you're being selective, that's probably telling you something, isn't it?
1: Yes. (laughs) Richard, I have a story that comes to mind and it's like another side of the I know a guy, Mm. uh, which is a friend of mine was working for an organization and the maybe it was the CEO brought in a coach for the senior management. But the CEO was very close to this coach also personally. So that added that extra dynamic where I know the person I was talking to didn't feel like the coach had their best interest at heart. So I wonder also how, even if someone ticks all the other boxes in a way that, whether it's considering your own personal relationship, if you are bringing in someone that you are acquainted with.
0: It's absolutely Um, a good question to ask you know broadly speaking you want your coach to be aware of the system but not part of the system of the organization um if you're bringing them in from outside so having a personal friendship with a senior person that is a challenge to that right and as you say and i've heard this story or versions of it countless times Mm. through the years Um, Because, how are you going to open up to a coach when they play golf with your boss? You know, and that's one example I've come across. How are you going to open up about your career aspirations when you know that they're a close personal friend with the CEO and so on and so on? So, that flies in the face of the objectivity we're hoping for. Now, it also means that that coach has to do a a lot of extra work and really signpost the importance of confidentiality and boundaries and everything. But that mightn't be enough and people might just go through the motions of coaching and not really get the value that they might from it if there was a little bit more distance between the coach and the organization. There's another, and this is the final point, talking of signposting, um, there's another point that I... Can only influence. I've got no control over this whatsoever. But if you're making the investment, so let's say you're taking um, one of your managers and you're giving them access to work with a coach, and so therefore they're investing some time, some effort. You're making a financial investment. Um, There there is some cost associated to this. You want to get a return on that investment, and yet what often happens is you don't give them the space to try new things when they're out of coaching and doing the day job. So you want them to speak up. You want them to challenge the status quo. You want them to make their mark. And yet you're shutting them down when they're trying new things. So you know, one of the the, the biggest predictors of training success is um, when delegates are able to, in their work environment, try their new skills out in a receptive, psychologically safe environment. Well, the same holds for coaching. Because if someone is enthused and they're experimenting and they've got this experimental mindset and they're just trying to see what could work for them, if the environment pushbacks at every turn, they're, they're, they're not going to stick at it for very long and it won't have been a good investment. So this is why it can be useful to involve the line manager of the coachee at the very start to have this kind of a conversation and to let them know that they can help by providing feedback and letting the coachee know they're noticing what they're trying to do and it's, you know, uh, appreciated. But if you say you want someone to do something and you don't give them the ability, the time, the space, the latitude to do it, well, that's mixed messages. That's confusing. And it's not a good use of those resources that have been spent on coaching. They're my five big errors, um, or should I say errors I've spotted, and they're not the only ones but we don't have time to go into every single thing (laughs) that could go wrong. I I wanted to talk about the fundamentals today. I'd love to hear from listeners if they've got other examples of how coaching, you know, could be communicated better or things that uh, you need to think of before you introduce it to your organization. Um, If you've got horror stories, I'm intrigued to hear about them as well, but we'd love to have a positive message about this. You can send us an email at podcast at um, worklifepsych.com. Com. I almost forgot it there for a moment, uh, <laughs> podcast at worklifepsych.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, now, if you would like to know more about coaching as an activity, full stop, and to see some of the feedback that we've had, um, you can go to our coaching page on the website, worklifepsych.com slash coaching or you can visit our new coaching faq page for all of the frequently asked questions i say new it's not new anymore but it is being continually updated as we receive new questions or we have new resources to share and you can find that at worklifepsych.com slash coaching questions i will of course put all of this in the show notes and if there's a question you've got about coaching and it's not on the page please let me know I'll add it and provide an answer uh, that I hope answers it, but one from our perspective um, that sits well with our approach anyway. Uh, Pilar, before we wrap up, um, have you got any um, examples of uh, mistakes or do you think those five cover off the, the things you could think of?
1: I think they cover off everything um well not everything as you said but i think it's a really good checklist actually it's really i think it's a, you've provided a great checklist for those wanting to bring coaching into the organization
0: it's experience-based because mm. i've helped numerous organizations do this very thing and i hope it doesn't come across as pure criticism you no. don't know what you don't know and so part of the job um, that I do is to help people make better decisions. And, and in part, that can be about challenging some of their assumptions or maybe suggesting more research required, more thinking required before we press go on this. So that's where that's coming from. As ever, yes, we'd love to hear from you. Um, any questions or thoughts you have on it. Um, and until our next one, thank you for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.